In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there are four main events. Creation, the fall and the flood, and then the table of the nations. Today we look at the flood from Genesis chapter 7 through chapter 9. I want to begin reading at chapter 7, verse 11. So please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. And we begin reading at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days, and the water increased, and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. Let's bow in prayer. Father, you are a God of great power and majesty. You are the one that spoke into existence all that we see today. You are the God that sent a global flood upon this world And you are the God who is coming again in judgment. And we bow at your feet today, O God, when we acknowledge who you are and how much we need you. And we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who came to save us, to give us life eternal, to give us life abundant. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us now from the truth of your word. Guide us into your truth, Lord. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at coloring books that give a picture of the ark, or maybe children's story books that give a picture of the ark, what comes to your mind? You kind of see this little boat. It's always kind of a little boat. And there's usually a big giraffe, you know, with his head sticking up. And the giraffe is almost as big as the boat. looks like the boat's going to tip over because of, of the weight of the giraffe. 
And it's kind of this uh, legendary thing, kind of this myth, you know, kind of this story for children. And there seems to be that understanding in our culture today that there really wasn't a global flood. Maybe just a local flood and that Noah's just kind of this legendary character. I am absolutely convinced that there was a global flood for two very clear reasons. Number one, the Bible tells us so. And that's reason enough, isn't it? And we find reference to the flood not just in the book of Genesis, but we find reference to the flood in other places. Jesus talked about the flood. The Apostle Peter talked about the flood, the passage that we read this morning. And so if we believe the Bible, then we unashamedly declare that this world was destroyed by a flood. It's not just a story. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. The flood actually happened. The second reason why I believe in a global flood is because our planet shows evidence of a global flood. It is obvious that something catastrophic happened to this earth, to this world, and the only explanation that makes any sense is the flood. Now, many Christians today have been influenced by the teaching of evolution. And thus, they don't believe that there was an actual global flood. They say it was just a local flood. But I don't know how you can read the text of Genesis in chapters 7 through 9 and come up with the idea that this was not a global flood. Listen to what the text tells us. Verse 17 of chapter 7. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. How do you come up with a local flood when it says that all of the mountains on the earth, all under heaven, were covered with water? How about the length of the flood? It began, according to chapter 7, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life. And it ended, according to chapter, 13, or chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, in the second month on the 27th day of his 601st year. That was well over a year, that flood last. That's not just a local flood. And notice what God says about all life on earth. Verse 21 says of chapter 7, All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts, and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth, and all mankind, of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, died. And you have all these references to all animals, all birds, all of mankind. How can you say that this was not a global flood? This indeed was a deluge, a judgment of God, and it changed life on this planet in some very striking ways. Notice, first of all, the flood changed the climate. 
Prior to the flood, the climate of the earth was likely quite uniform, no matter where you lived. And that is because there was some kind of a water vapor canopy that surrounded the earth. From chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 of Genesis, we read these words. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And so you have water on the earth below the expanse. Then you have this water that is above the expanse. And on prior to the, the flood, it had never rained. There was this, this huge vaporous canopy that surrounded the surface of the earth. And so with no rain on the earth, there were no storms, there was no lightning, there were no tornadoes, there were no hurricanes, there were no droughts or floods or no snow. Can you imagine that? How sad, huh? No, no snow. And some have described this as kind of a greenhouse effect. But after the flood, that all changed. Now, chapter 8, verse 22 of Genesis says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So if you're looking for the perfect climate, you were born too late, way too late. You would have to live prior to the flood when there was this kind of a uniform climate wherever you went. There wouldn't be the, the 50, 100 below zero up in uh, Roseau, Minnesota, or uh, 150 degrees with humidity down in Texas. Where's our Texas people? we got some here this morning. No, you raise your hand. All right. Even in our own country, just the, the, the amazing difference in climate. Just from northern Minnesota to, to southern Texas, what a change. It's really interesting when we have Bible school students come to our Bible school who have never seen snow before. They've never uh, realized what a wind chill is all about. And oh, it's wonderful just to see the look on their face in January when they're walking from uh, the dorms to the classroom and they can't believe that this is actually the planet Earth. Uh, it is an amazing thing. And that climate change then came because of the flood. What an amazing mark the flood made upon the Earth. And secondly, the flood not only changed the climate, but the flood changed the length of man's life. If you read in Genesis, prior to the flood, we see people living almost a thousand years. And I have a hard time just wrapping my mind around that, to think of living on this earth for 969 years. That's the oldest record we have in Scripture of, of Methuselah. So when you reach the age of 400, uh, you're reaching middle age. That just, I just, I don't know, I just have a hard time comprehending, comprehending that. And so I wouldn't even be to my prime yet, like I am right now. Maybe I'm a little bit past my prime. But just think, living almost a thousand years. And so you, you wonder, why was it they lived so long? And there's several uh, suggestions we could make. 
Now, this water vapor that surrounded the surface of the earth, a very nice climate for man, nutritious food was always available. And many claim that that water vapor shielded us from solar radiation, from cosmic rays that, that cause harm to our bodies. No tornadoes, no hurricanes, uh, those killer storms pose no threat. And there's probably also very little degenerative illnesses, a few communicable diseases. And so prior to the flood, you could plan on living several hundred years. That'd be a long marriage, wouldn't it, honey? Huh? 900 years? Think you could put up with me that long? She's not, she's not committing either way. <laughs> Corey, you just got married. You think Abby would li- want to live with you for 900 years? You hope so? She's not. Oh, she, she did a thumbs up. Okay. But after the flood, that changed, didn't it? Abraham lived 175 years. Joseph lived 110 years. And if someone today lives to be 100, that's quite an accomplishment, isn't it? I looked it up online. You have a 0.02% chance of living to 100. So I don't think the odds are very good, are they? I looked back in my uh, funeral record, and I've had only one funeral in all my years of ministry of someone over 100. That was Annie Holland. Some of you remember her. So the climate, or the flood changed the climate. The flood changed the length of life. Uh, thirdly, the flood changed the surface of the earth. If you look at Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, the changes to the, the, the surface of our earth must have been enormous. Listen now how Moses describes it. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. So the waters below the expanse were the waters in a liquid state. They are described as the fountains of the great deep. So in or below the earth's surface, there were kind of these vast reservoirs of water. Uh, They were apparently interconnected with each other so that the entire complex constituted one great Deep. And so imagine this, this crust of the earth and underneath this vast uh, reservoirs of, of waters. And then you have the floodgates of the sky where the waters above the expanse were. The vaporous canopy likely extended out into space uh, some distance, vast quantities of water so that it could rain, mind you, for 40 days and 40 nights. With our hydrologic cycle today, that could never happen. But with a vaporous canopy like that, raining for 40 days and 40 nights, the floodgates would certainly describe a a vast amount of water uh, being held back until the time that God said it should be released. And so when the time of judgment came, All that God had to do was to open the springs of the deep and the floodgates of heaven, and the earth was covered with water. 
This wasn't just a little seeping of water. That phrase, on the same day, all the floodgates of the great deep, or all the fountains of the great deep, burst open. And so these interconnected reservoirs of water fractured, forming the great geological structures that are a part of the surface of our earth. Huge mountains were developed, great crevices formed because these reservoirs no longer were pressurized and they collapsed. And so you can imagine with, with the, the crust of the earth and all of the, the water underneath bursting forth, you can imagine what that did to the surface of the earth. And so you have the mountains and you have the deep ocean basins. And with all that water and sediment, animals all over the earth were rapidly buried and became fossils. Now, I know many of you, how many of you were taught evolution when you went to school? Okay, I was in, in my public school been, well, a few years ago. And I was taught that evolutionists believe that billions of years of sediment formed and that in that sediment are these fossils and the fossils identify the different ages of time. But there's a major problem with that thinking. The preservation of fossils requires rapid burial and lithification. Otherwise, they would be eaten by scavengers or decay. And so they had to be buried very rapidly through flooding. Henry Morris says that the average rate of deposition during flooding conditions is one inch every five minutes. An inch every five minutes. And since the average thickness of sedimentary rocks around the world is about a mile, it would take about 220 days to form the entire column of sediment. Does that fit within the time frame of the flood? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when it comes to the fossil record, the answer is found in the flood. And so the flood changed the climate. The flood changed the length of man's life. The flood changed the surface of the earth. But you know what the flood could not change? What the flood did not change? The flood did not change the heart of man. Now someone put it this way, the flood got rid of sinners, but it didn't get rid of sin. And the evidence for that is quite clear, isn't it? Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. The flood did not change the heart of man, did it? Even though all of these people that would not worship God were destroyed, the flood did not change the heart of man, and we still struggle with a sinful heart, don't we? A sinful nature. 
And sinful behavior needs to be punished. Look at chapter 9, verse 5. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it, and from every man and from every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. There's the establishment of human government. And why was it established? Because we have evil hearts, we have sinful hearts, and we are prone to evil, and sin must be punished. Romans 13 describes it well. God ordained the state to punish evil and to reward what is good. If we did not have human government, we'd destroy ourselves. The flood didn't root out sinful behavior. It is still there. That's why God ordained the state. Without the state to punish sin, we'd destroy ourselves. The flood didn't change the heart of man. And even believers struggle with sin, right? Look at chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 20. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Even Noah. Noah was the man who walked with God. Noah was the man who was righteous in his generation. Noah was the man who experienced the favor of God. But Noah still struggled with sin just like we do. Even we who know Jesus, we battle sin, don't we? There is that daily struggle, the devil and the world and our own sinful flesh. Does it surprise you to hear this about Noah? I suppose we could make the argument in some ways it's a little bit surprising when you see the description of this man, and yet we know our own nature, don't we? We know our own hearts. We know how we are tempted to, to wander. We are tempted to sin. And we are capable of falling, aren't we? And Paul warns us, the one who thinks he stands, take heed, lest you fall. And if you become proud in your Christian life and you think, oh, you know, those people out there, the evil they're doing, I would never do that. That's kind of a statement that says, you know, I don't understand my sinful nature. Even after the flood, believers, Noah, still struggle with sin. And so we need Jesus to set us free, not just from the condemnation of our sin, but we need Jesus to set us free from the power of sin. To give us victory as we face the challenges of life, the temptations that come our way. And indeed, that's why Jesus came. He came in fulfillment of that promise in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, that He would crush the head of the serpent, that He would defeat our enemy. He would take our sins to the cross and, and He would bear them for us to take away the condemnation of our sin, but also to help us deal with the temptation that we face day by day.
Think of the Lord's Prayer. We pray, forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, there's the condemnation of sin. We need forgiveness for what we have done. But do you notice how the Lord's Prayer goes on? What does it say? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or deliver us from the evil one. And so as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we are not only saying, Lord, forgive me for the wrong that I have done, but God, help me as I face the challenges of today, realizing that we are weak. There was a man in my home church who was an alcoholic for many years, and God transformed his life in a marvelous way. And he was the one that pointed out to me some words that we're going to be singing in just a minute in our closing hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And he often would quote this part of that hymn, Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. And he would share in his testimony that God has saved me from the guilt of sin. God has forgiven me for what I have done, the way that I've lived. But he said God has also saved me from the power of sin. So I don't need to live the way that I used to live. In Christ, Frank was a new creature. Old things had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. And that's what Jesus did. The flood didn't take away our sinful nature. We still struggle. But Jesus came. And we can praise Him today that His blood cleanses us from our sin. And He also gives us the power to turn away from sin. We don't need to live the way we used to live. Will we stumble and fall? Yes, we will. We come back in repentance and, 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 and seek His forgiveness and ask God to say, Okay, Lord, help me now as I face the challenges of today. Be of sin. The double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You came to save us from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. The flood brought change to this climate of this earth. The flood brought change to the length of man's life. The flood brought change to the crust of this earth. The flood did not change the heart of man. But Jesus, you came to do that. To set us free from the condemnation of our sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And then to set us free from the power of sin. Lord, thank you for your great work for us. What you did there on the cross, may we rest in that truth today. Live in light of that truth today. That Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe, sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. Praise 
God for that. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.